a podcast featuring ordinary men of extraordinary faith. This is Mana. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Mana, a podcast featuring ordinary men of extraordinary faith. I'm your host, Jeff Peterson. Now, none of the guys that you're going to meet on this podcast would consider themselves to be extraordinary, but it's their humble, holy way of living exactly what makes them extra to me, and I am excited for you to meet them. So if you stuck with us uh, for these last 11 seasons, uh, first of all, thank you. Uh, uh, but second of all, you know that by now, uh, you know by now that, that the whole bit here on manna is that we feature ordinary men of faith, okay? The simple, just kind of runabout fellas we see at work, uh, on our communities, at home, you know, guys who live out their their great faith in just everyday, ordinary ways. Okay, guys who may not be able to quote scripture, but know for sure how to care uh, for their neighbor. You know, guys who may not be serving as missionaries in some far off land, but they're serving their families and their friends. Uh, and a lot of times, um, but not always, their churches. Um, guys who who's probably their only definition of apologetics is is probably I'm sorry, okay, which is not a bad couple of words to actually have handy uh, in almost any situation. But those are our typical, and these are our typical manna men. Well, today uh, we have a bit of a ringer, uh, a man who, as a priest, as you can imagine, has extraordinary levels of smarts uh, in spiritual matters. Uh, but he's a guy's guy. You know, from being president of his college fraternity back in the day to uh, having initial career aspirations in international business to, uh, to actually hearing God's call in his car on the way to lunch to, now get this, to get a hoagie sandwich, okay? So today's guest knows the path that us regular guys are on. Because uh, he was once on a two. I mean, come on. I mean, who, who has who has hoagies for lunch? Uh, <laughs> and now, of course, he's helping not only men, but women, children, families, seminarians, brother priests, and really anyone with an earshot uh, become fully aware and alive in their relationship with Christ. He's got an evangelical, small e, bent, uh, with a passion for Jesus that is matched only by the very intellect that God blessed him with in the first place. And if you're lucky enough to take a class by him, uh, uh, to, be, uh, to hear a homily spoken by him, to read an article written by him. Uh, you're not only lucky, but you're blessed. Uh, a great blend of the smart and the simple, the academic and the actionable, uh, the holy, uh, along with a lot of how. So we are blessed, literally, to dial it up a notch here today with today's Man of Man. Welcome, Father John Clockman. Hey, Father John. It's good to be here, Jeff, and I want to meet this guy that you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is you, and we are very, 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 uh, very lucky and blessed to have you here. So, I got, and we got to start. Um, uh, we've had some parishioners here from St. Bart's uh, on the show, mm-hmm. um, where you currently serve as pastor, for those that don't know, uh, and a lot of listeners here uh, to Mana have, uh, who know you and who are tuning in uh, to listen to you have, have already probably heard the story, but for those that haven't, uh, you know, we got to start with the hoagie story. I mean, this is, I've heard it a couple times now, but mm-hmm. it's like Springsteen. I mean, you just can't, you can't tire of it. So let's, let's start there, explain the hoagie uh, and just what a, I just, I think it's just such a wonderful example of how for all of our designs of how we're going to encounter God, you know what, 
it's, it's going to be on his terms <laughs> this time. Well, uh, I would say it fits into manna. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about God using the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And um, I was working as an associate engineer for a company down in uh, Tempe, Arizona. Uh, and it was a winter day. Uh, for you Minnesotans, when uh, winter does come, <laughs> they'll be jealous of how I'm going to talk about the weather at the time. <laughs> right now, Arizona's paying for the weather, yeah, right? right. Uh, but it was December. Uh, I would say it would be 1992. And um, it was December, and I, it was about lunchtime. And I had a little baby blue Honda, <laughs> and I wanted a beef hoagie. And so <laughs> I went and got into my car, and uh, was waiting at a stoplight for it to turn green. And this unexpected, it was an ordinary day, let's go with that theme, ordinary day, uh, ordinary desire, just wanted to have lunch, and uh, the Lord manifested himself in in my car. Uh, It was a felt present, it wasn't like I saw anything, but it was a, a strong presence of holiness that enveloped the interior of my car. Yeah. I'm still waiting for the light to turn green. So it wasn't like it was in some kind of, you know, uh, unaware state. Yeah. I was very aware of things around me, but I, I was very aware of God's presence. No, uh, no words were exchanged except what I would call like a, a locution, like an, an interior conversation, an interior sense of the Lord. I knew it was God the Father asking for, uh, for permission from me, because God gives us free will to say yes or no. Yeah. He gives us free will to say yes to the good, but we know uh, that sometimes we don't always yeah. choose the good, right? Uh, for him, he was asking permission from me to enter more deeply into my life in relationship. Mm-hmm. And I immediately said yes. Yeah. The light turned green. I started driving, but everything was different. You know, I would say that the the grass was greener, the sky seemed bluer, the air seemed fresher, um, the earth seemed richer, and everybody I saw on the sidewalk, I just was, I love you, You because the love of God was emanating (laughs) from me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I heard these words that were so significant and and really was a, a transitional part of my life, and that was the Lord saying, this is what it will be like once you are healed. Mm-hmm. Meaning, and I understood that immediately, uh, that those attachments that sometimes keep us away from our own integrated self, but also keeps us away from love of neighbor and love of God and growing in holiness. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't even remember getting the hokey. <laughs> <laughs> I went immediately to St. Anne's uh, Catholic Church in um uh, Gilbert, Arizona, where my spiritual director, Father Doug Lurig, was, mm-hmm. and I talked to him. And I had this this sense of God's presence in me. I've never felt so fully alive in my life. Yeah. You know, and that was, what, 30 years ago, yeah. close to, or a little bit more. And Father Doug said, you are describing uh, interior union with God. And I had that for the afternoon. Mm. That man had it for nine days, <laughs> you know? So yeah. he knew what I was talking about. Yeah. Didn't, I didn't sound strange to him, yeah. right? But I had it for the whole afternoon, and eventually it just it lingered and lingered and s- slowly dissipated. Uh, but it was one of those transformative yeah. moments of life. Yeah. And, and that's not where I necessarily felt called to be a priest, uh, but it was a call to discipleship. Yeah. It was a call to union with God. And once you taste that, even then, it's like going on a retreat and you have a great... Uh, seminal moment with God, 
uh, like the Israelites did in uh, the Exodus account, everything the Lord says I will do. Well, then we know, you know two chapters later they're doing the exact opposite, and sometimes we do that too as well. We, we make foolish choices, but eventually you grow in maturity and holiness and integration. Yeah. Well, and you've talked about also, you've talked about, so that you get, we get the car hoagie story, but you've also shared stories, you know, growing up and going through you know, your discernment process where there have been more conventional yeah, encounters with, with the Lord, you know, at adoration and mm-hmm. if, if he's been kind of speaking. But but when you look back, uh, when you look back now on all those little whispers or, or, or louder moments, you know, if, if you think of how you grew up with the guys that you grew up with now, or maybe when you actually did, um, you know, discern into the vocation and do it, like, like were, were people surprised? Or, or, or were you all, all along the path? I mean, having these experiences, sharing these experiences with your friends, I would imagine. And mm-hmm. so by the time it actually did tip over into the sort of acceptance uh, of, of the vocation, was anybody surprised? That's a good question. Um, it would be kind of a yes, no. Uh-huh. You know, I hate, hate to be vague about it, but um, it was always a desire to serve. Yeah. and to build God's kingdom. But even when I was younger, I wouldn't have said those words. I yeah. wouldn't have put it in that, that kind of category. I mean, I grew up in a suburban Catholicism at a time when catechesis was a little bit, uh, shall we say, fluffy. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I always had an interest. I never found church boring. I know some teens do, but I never really found it uh, boring or burdensome. Um, my family always went to Sunday Mass, but you know, like a lot of suburban Catholics, we didn't pray when we went out to dinner. Mm-hmm. You just didn't do that in public, yeah, right, right? Exactly. When somebody might see something. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I, the person I go to when I did have a deeper encounter with the Lord and had a sense that I was called to priesthood, I went to my parents. I had spoken to my mother first, and at first she was not uh, happy with it. She said, well, I have three sisters and two brothers. And uh, she said, well, I want grandchildren from you. I said, mom, you've got, my sisters and brothers have kids, you know, but they're not yours. I said, well, I I can't help you with that. (laughs) Um, But then later on, when she kind of acclimated to it, she said to me, you know, ever since you were three years old, I knew that you would be a priest. I said, why didn't you ever say that to me before? Yeah. She said, because I wanted you to make your own decision and not have me influence, which I think was really wise. Because yeah. it's one thing to open up um, catechesis to someone, teach them how to pray, be a living example of generosity, of, of a love of God versus telling someone what their vocation yeah, is. Because sure. I've run into a number of guys who have felt that way and have, may have chosen priesthood and it wasn't the right fit for them, yeah. right? So there needs to be an element of freedom in that. Yeah. And my parents gave that to me. Yeah. Um, I would say in college, uh, just answering that question as well, a number of um, uh, people of my same age, they weren't surprised. Yeah. You know, even though I dated, um, I just said I was fraternity president, there was a lot of... Um, Parties and, <laughs> and although I, I, in fairness to me, you know, they started calling me Brother Milk because I um, guys in my fraternity, like a lot of guys, need liquid courage to ask a girl out to dance, mm-hmm. you know, that type of thing. And I, I never needed that, you know. 
And well, so and I would carry around a glass of milk to show guys that I could have more fun than they did by asking a girl to dance with a glass of milk than they <laughs> did with their Coors beer. Stone so, over, yeah. but people who knew me in the, in, uh, the Newman Center, and there was a number of people that were evangelicals, others were charismatic Catholics mm-hmm. that, uh, uh, very solid people, they weren't surprised. Yeah. So you talk about your, your parents being influential and so presumably your dad. When you think back, who are some of the men that were particularly, or even other just guy friends that were kind of, in retrospect, kind of formative mm-hmm. for you growing up? I would say principally, in a, in a kind of silent way, my dad... Um, was uh, always dependable mm-hmm. kind of guy. Uh, fought in World War II, uh, always faithful to my mother. He was an overly religious man, but would go to Mass on Sundays, Holy Days of Obligation, that type of thing. Uh, but he was always present. Okay. And I, I bring that up because he had a certain steadiness about him that I think has helped me. I'm more extroverted than my dad is, but mm-hmm. um, I admire that about him. And the affection that my mom and dad showed to each other, which is maybe a little off topic of your question, but I think that I grew up in a household, both my mother and father of German descent, but my mom's side of the family is more gregarious. My dad's side was a little bit more uh, focused, less emotional. Mm But my mom and dad would always show affection to each other, holding hands, kissing. My dad would chase my mom around the house. And <laughs> I saw that. I think it's a healthy way to see your parents yeah. loving each other, yeah. you know? And so I, I think I saw a healthy relationship as a result of that. Um, and then I had some really good friends growing up and thinking one in particular, Tom Lager, who uh, was Catholic as well, but maybe it's just these steady eddies in my life that yeah. were, were a good example to me that they didn't come into a room and try to own it. They didn't try to have a, uh, they didn't have enlarged egos. Uh, they were just good men yeah. in and of their own right, whether they would call themselves over religious or not. Yeah. You know, even going back to your original opening, you know, just the idea of manna, God using the ordinary to do the extraordinary. Think of mass. God uses bread and wine through the invocation of the Holy Spirit becomes his body and blood. The ordinary becomes the extraordinary. And yeah. he do, if he does that with bread and wine, how much more so with you and me? For sure, for sure. When, when you talk about your dad and and whether, you know, maybe not uh, memories of being overly, you know, religious from Pew, but, but uh, in how he did love your mom and carrying out his vocation as a husband, um, you know, you recently... Um, uh, and apologies for all you mana listeners who don't go to St. Bart's, but you missed just a wonderful homily that you just recently gave. When you and you talked about the role that I mean, obviously moms and dads, mm-hmm. husband, you know, wives and husbands mm-hmm. play in their family, but particularly the role that men play. Um, and and men, when kids can see their dads acting out their faith, whether it's as a husband or, or as a, you know, more evangelical. Can you talk a little bit about that and just how, how that it, it's not, it's not at the exclusion of the, of the mom or the wife, but there is, there is a, a, a distinct mm-hmm. influence that, that dads have. I related back to what I, I, I mentioned in my homily though, too, is that Jesus came to reveal the father's heart to us. He became the face of God, the father, Right. And so we expect moms to be a little bit more emotive. There are exceptions, of course. So kids expect their mothers to uh, relate their heart. Um, Jesus related to us the Father's heart to us. 
Um, and for a dad to do it in his own way, you don't want to be artificial about it, but to the best of your ability and sincerity, uh, to look at your sons and daughters' uh, potentiality, their giftedness, the attributes, the things that you delight in them. Mm. You really raise the bar for them to live. And um, dads have a powerful effect because they're not expecting it from their dad. Mm. When a dad reveals his heart to his son or daughter, um, it has an impact. In fact, there's been studies, national studies done. I can't recite them necessarily, but I remember the, the percentiles is that fathers who practice their faith on a regular basis, and I would add to that that probably they see their kids see them pray. Yeah. Uh, they see them um, having a relationship with God, but going to Mass on Sundays, that they are the father of the house. Uh, 80% of those kids, at least statistically, will carry on the faith. But if only the mom does that, I think it's in the 20 percentile. Oh, yeah. So it's really drawing out, and I, I mentioned in my homily, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, um, that last part, that God the Father will himself restore uh, and uh, basically draw out, establish our identity. And of course, our first Pope Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, says God himself will do that. To him be glory and honor forever and ever. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but... Um, if God the Father's going to do that, and he's instilled that in fathers to do that, and brothers to do it with each other, and it's not just you know, uh, fathers and their children. It could be spouses doing that to each other, sure. siblings, friends, yeah. coworkers, neighbors, yeah. that we're drawing out the best in each other. Because yeah. it's so easy. I'm sure people that are listening to this, it, it's very easy, especially for guys. We love to rib each other. That's how we show <laughs> affection. But we kind of remain with that little sarcastic, yeah. Uh, negative humor, right. and it really doesn't draw people up. And, and you almost have to wait for someone's funeral or giving your daughter away and honoring her at her wedding day. Yeah. And guys get all emotional yeah. because they pented it up all these years in their life. They should be doing it yeah. on a regular basis. Totally, because like, like you said, as Scripture says, it's been instilled. Like we were born with it. It's like part of our, our DNA. And you've spent a, 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 a now career uh, if I can call it a career, you know, not only helping parishioners, guys, whether they're listening to a homily or they're part of a men's group, um, you know, develop that confidence, develop that communication. But you're also, you know, you've also played that role with seminarians, like what, mm -hmm. you, what you were just explaining, where you're actually helping young men kind of come into their not only formation as as soon to be priests, but just guys. Mm -hmm. So talk about that. I mean, how how do you how do you do it, or have you found that it doesn't, and even the premise of this show is that, oh, guys, just so hard to crack. You know, you just got to get to them. But is that the case, or do they just need to, in your experience, do they just need to be invited? That's a good word, invited, but to also be present, you know? I mean, how many times we hear about fathers that are physically present, but they're emotionally absent? Yeah. Or some fathers who are trying to provide for their family, but they're gone all the time. And so they're physically absent mm. and emotionally absent as a, as a result. You know, the 16 years that I was in the seminary system as a formator, for those who don't know what that word means, it's basically like being a dad. You help a young man, especially in college age level, mm. with a whole variety of skill sets. But you also have to kind of um, know the man. Mm -hmm. um, the system is set up to have conversations like we're having right now. So you get to know his struggles, his, his attributes, the virtues that are easy for him, the sins that he's struggling with. Um, but also practical things like, 
organizing your room, <laughs> how to write a paper, yeah. how to have good hygiene, you know, <laughs> uh, things like this. I mean, guys that have discerned out, I've had a number of their wives come up to me and they'll, they'll look around and then they'll say, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you it. know, so uh, those are some of the happy, happiest years of my life because this the system on in fairness to people who are in families, being in the seminary is like being in a family. It's a smaller group of uh, people that's more cohesive, right? Mm. And so you get to know each other well, um, for good or for ill, meaning mm. that some things you may do drive me crazy, you know? <laughs> and some things I just love, right? Yeah. And um, so it's different than being in a parish life where I may not see someone's transformation happening because of a homily sure. or the time spent with them until maybe years later. But in the seminary, you can almost see it happen week by week, yeah. month by month. And so... Well, like a parent, like a parent mm-hmm. sees it in their children, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But you need to spend time. And I remember one time just having an aha moment. Uh, it was at the St. John Vianney College Seminary at St. Thomas. Um, I was just walking down, up and down the halls. I had the fourth floor at St. Uh, SJV, St. John Vianney. And um, guys started coming out of their rooms and just kind of hanging out mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not that interesting. I'm not <laughs> that popular. But they wanted to be with a father figure. Okay. And they were a young man who were looking for an older man to teach them the ropes of manhood, masculinity. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to reveal themselves in a way that you would receive them, meaning their, their person, and help them to reach the next level. Yeah. And I started realizing... I think it would benefit a lot of priests. Not everyone's made to do formator work in a seminary, but I think a lot of priests would benefit learning how to be a father mm-hmm. at a seminary and then go into parish life. Because yeah. parish life, is, it can be a little distant, you know? Most priests feel comfortable up at the pulpit, sure. not necessarily mingling with people. Yeah. That's why Pope Francis says, you need to smell like the sheep, right? <laughs> right. So I relish those days that I was there, and... Um, the men that I helped shape and formed. In fact, we just had a, a reunion. Uh, St. John Vianney celebrated his 100th year anniversary and um, at St. Thomas. And um, it, it was incredible to see these guys and having men. One is a, a sergeant in the, in the army. Uh, others are lawyers now. Uh, some are priests. One's yeah. a judge down in Iowa. Like, you totally influenced my life. Yeah. And I'm like, it, it was almost... Uh, Got like a whiplash of emotion yeah. and their gratitude yeah. and thinking that I affected the trajectory of someone's life. And that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. Every father has that opportunity to do that with son, his yeah, sons and daughters. For sure. And, 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 and with the specific work that you're doing, that you did in the, in the formation stuff, and not to overly psychoanalyze it or hopefully not get into the heretical, but I also think, and I mentioned it you know, in your, in your introduction, I think you're so great. Father John, of relating to people, yes, as as a priest, but also just as a guy, you mm-hmm. know. And I think for a lot of guys and gals, maybe, I mean, your influence and then and then how you essentially trained those young men who, yes, some became priests, some some became just dads and mm-hmm. great guys. Is in, but for those priests, even you know, the influence that just their that their that their manner, that their way of being a guy, I mm-hmm. think also 
has an influence, you know, outside of the formal role as a priest, you know, it's just when they, when, when guys see you showing up at an event or see, you know, or, or they're on a phone call with you, I just think the way you handle yourself, the way you respect others, whether you're wearing a collar or not, mm-hmm. it's, it's the formation of a, what it means to be a good man, mm-hmm. you know? I think that's also comes down to just feeling kind of comfortable in your own skin. And I, I look back in appreciation on my, my family. My mother had a great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. I didn't. The apple didn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> Hopefully, you find me funny, everyone who's listening. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we have a laugh track. At yeah, the- <laughs> <laughs> um, I can laugh at myself, but my dad um, again was a very steady man. Uh, but um, he didn't let too many things ruffle him. Yeah, you know. And as a younger man, I probably let things ruffle me more than now that I'm older. Yeah. But um, you start to learn from your parents things that you love about them and things. Uh, Please don't have that. Get that person right. So I would look back on my family as, and I also, one thing I didn't mention is that my older sibling, my older brother, Jimmy or James was um, deaf. And so, and I had um, some cousins had had, um, I don't know what they call it today anymore, but mental retardation, we would call Mm -hmm. it in former days. And you learn to live with people that um, had special needs. And so, uh, and then seeing my dad after a stroke and my mom caring for him for 13 years. Mm. I mean, those things affect you when you're growing up, but even when you're older and yeah. you see your mother still loving your father. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's so powerful. That's great. Um, well, we could we could literally talk. I've got more questions here. That we're gonna, <laughs> I'm going to ask you some other time. We'll come B. back, but I want to make sure I honor the time thing. And we've got to get to the fun segment here. Okay. So the fun segment, same three questions we ask every guest. Uh, to kind of close up the show and a little bit of hopefully it lives up to its uh, its name as the fun segment. So fun segment question number one. Mm-hmm. If Jesus knocked on your door tomorrow morning and just wanted to hang out for the day, you got the whole day with Jesus, you can do anything you want, how are you going to spend your time with Jesus? It would be twofold. I would want to go for a long walk with him. Mm-hmm. So be outside in nature. But I would want him like the apostles did. Show me how to pray. And what I mean by that, not just saying prayers, but having communion with the Father. And when Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing, what's it like to live like that always? So teach me how to, the early fathers of the church or the desert fathers would call it theosis, you know, where you're living in communion with God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. What is that like? I, I want to live there. Yeah. Uh, so I just imagine him just putting his hand on my shoulder and just, this is what it's like, and I just, re- I just receive it, right? Yeah, right. And of course, once you do that, you don't want to leave. Right. I mean, that's why, you know, what is it, Peter said, well, let's build three tents, one for you, Moses, and Elijah, when they're on Mount Tabor with the transfiguration, you know? So yeah. I want to see God's glory, but I want to live in communion with him. Yeah. So that's what I would want to do. That's awesome. I love that. All right, fun segment question number two. If you could go to church, if you could go to mass with any other guy, living or dead, famous or not, uh, no rules other than you're going to church and you're going with another guy, who are you, who are you going to church with? Can I pick two people? Sure. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this is your place. <laughs> uh, well, one would be uh, St. John the Beloved, okay. which is one of my favorite saints. He was, you know, the apostle whom, you know, the scripture says Jesus loved, but he wrote John's gospel and is what they call high christology he talked about christ divinity 
and he's the one who is caught up in the book of Revelation into heaven, seeing the divine liturgy going on all the time. It's going on right now. When we go to Mass, we're just kind of hooking into it for mm-hmm. that brief half hour, if it's daily Mass or hour during uh, uh, Sunday Mass. But it'd be John the Beloved, because he had such close friendship with Christ. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was the only one that wasn't martyred. He died of natural causes. Um, the other person would be my old spiritual director, which relates to some of the other questions you told me, is Father Doug Lurk. He really kind of became a second father to me. He had an unusual background, but grew up Lutheran here in Minnesota, became an Episcopalian uh, priest. He was married, had four kids. Then when he was down in Arizona, he converted to Catholicism and now Saint John Paul II uh, gave him uh, a dispensation from celibacy. Mm. So he was one of the first 50 priests in the U.S. who was married and still active as a priest. Because priesthood celibacy, not being married, is just a discipline of the church. Uh, It's not a requirement. It's not a dogma. I mean, the Pope tomorrow could say, Priest, you can get married. In the West, there's a whole, that's a whole different conversation how it developed in the West. Because there are other Catholic churches that are part of reunion with Rome that have married clergy in Hmm. the Eastern part of uh, the old Roman Empire. But uh, anyway, Father Doug Lurig was probably the holiest person that I ever personally knew and became like a second father to me, kind of built upon the foundation that my own father laid for me. And then... Uh, taught me holiness. Mm. And yeah. This guy didn't want to just know about God intellectually. He wanted to know yeah. God. Yeah. Was he alive to see your ordination? Oh, yes. Yeah. He was also, uh, yeah. Um, he and his wife came. Cool. And, um, yeah, he uh, vested me, which means when you receive your vestments, uh, when you first are ordained, um, there's you ask a priest or some significant in your life. Usually it's a priest or maybe a deacon. Um, to vest you uh, on the altar area. And he, I asked him to do that. So yeah, just a beautiful man. That's He's so passed cool. away now. but That's awesome. All right, fun segment question number three, wrapping it up here. If yep. you could just give one piece of advice to a younger man, teenager, whatever, however you want to define younger, but, uh, one piece of advice to a younger man about mm-hmm. just living everything we've been talking about here for the last half hour, living a confident comfortable life of faith, not com- not necessarily comfortable, confident, confident life of faith, mm-hmm. what would that one piece of advice be? Hmm. The word that comes to me immediately is integration. Hmm. Live an integrated life. And what I mean by that is this. So uh, Cardinal Van Tuan Nguyen, who was the Cardinal Archbishop of Saigon at the fall, then he was uh, put in prisons by the communists in Vietnam. He has passed away now, but his cause for canonization is up said you cannot evangelize until you learn to humanize, meaning see another mm. person as a human being. Sometimes we're very hard on ourselves, and young men can be that way on, on themselves as well. So being integrated means I see both, uh, going back to that potentiality, my attributes, uh, what's possible for my future, where I'm gifted, where I'm skilled, how does God see me, but also places where I'm, I'm tempted and I'm, I'm weak. Yeah. Um, that's part of integration. It, it pushes against uh, a guy being too egotistical or, um, you know, giving too many uh, weak 
excuses for himself. Mm-hmm. An integrated man, we all we all know those guys when we meet them. <laughs> you just love to spend time with yeah. them. They know who they are. They draw out the best in you. And that's what, it's, it's hard to even say that to a young man. This is the one word I'd give you because like, what does integration mean, you know? But, <laughs> You'll get it in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it does it does elicit a conversation. Yeah, and you can actually yeah. then do what that homily last Sunday was talking about, yeah. and that is drawing out of him the best in him to live to greater heights of virtue, holiness. Uh, an integrated man does that. Yeah. Well, and I love that. I love what you said about you know you can't can't evangelize until you humanize because I, sometimes I feel like especially in the church when we talk about you know being evangelical and evangelizing it if we, we we conjure up these notions of we need to declare you know mm-hmm. we're just we're just out there pushing a message in hopes that it gets received versus if you start more with no you gotta you gotta relate you mm-hmm. know and then once you relate once you build trust once you then it, then it then it flows, but if not without that, it's it's mm-hmm. futile. You know? Well, you look at the life of Jesus and the twelve apostles; um, they accompanied him. That maybe that's another word that we do use in as we're wrapping up yeah. uh, this interview. But uh, they watched Jesus; they saw his the integrity of his life, his regularity. But he always he accompanied the apostles. And I think that's partly what you're saying, too, is that being with a younger, say, a younger man and just walking with him, befriending mm-hmm. him, uh, being a constant in his life um, will draw out of him as well when he sees the best of your attributes. Or when you fail, you apologize, you know, and, and he sees your humility. Mm-hmm. All of those things have effects. We don't yeah. have to be perfect, Yeah, you know. Uh, if we uh, if we could drop these mics, we would. Uh, you have raised the bar here for us, Father John. <laughs> I can't thank you enough uh, for being here, sharing your story, and just being such a great inspiration for all of us regular thank guys. Uh, <laughs> We're all ordinary, but at the same time, God has made us each unique and extraordinary. So live up to your calling, men. Thank you for listening to MANA. If you have any questions or recommendations for future guests, send them to manapodcast at gmail.com.